Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Has North Korea been helping Russia with the war in Ukraine? The White House says they've got new intelligence indicating North Korea's sending weapons. Twitter reportedly takes down multiple foreign networks trying to interfere with the midterms. And the White House deletes a tweet after Twitter flags it. The administration's response. The Federal Reserve again hikes interest rates, raising recession fears as the agency scrambles to fight inflation. What President Biden says about the economy. Inflation is still hurting people. But we're making real progress. I'm more optimistic about the future than I ever have been. And the U.S. cybersecurity chief comments on election security. There are going to be errors, there are going to be glitches. That happens in every election. The Biden administration is accusing the North Korean regime of secretly supplying Russia with military equipment to support its war in Ukraine. John Kirby from the National Security Council on Wednesday said the U.S. is monitoring North Korea's alleged arms shipments to Russia. Our information indicates that the DPRK is covertly supplying Russia's war in Ukraine with a significant number of artillery shells while obfuscating the real destination of the arms shipments by trying to make it appear as though they're being sent to countries in the Middle East or North Africa. The Biden administration didn't disclose how many shells North Korea sent or how they got transported. But Kirby said the U.S. would continue to provide Ukraine with critical defense systems. It, it is not an insignificant number of, of shells, but we don't believe that, that they are in such a quantity that they would tangibly change the direction uh, of this war or tangibly change uh, the momentum, either uh, in the east or in the south. The U.S. is also accusing Iran and the Chinese regime of supporting Russia's military. In August, the Biden administration said that Russia was getting hundreds of drones made in Iran for use on the battlefield in Ukraine. And back in June, the Biden administration blacklisted five Chinese companies accused of supplying Russia's military. Amid its supply shortages and the efficacy of international sanctions, Russia has to continue to look to actors like the DPRK and Iran to sustain its aggressive uh, and provocative, uh, its aggressive war in Ukraine. The White House didn't say whether they would interdict the shipments. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. Twitter has reportedly taken down networks with links to China and Iran. An analysis says the networks were influencing the midterm elections. Twitter reportedly took down six inauthentic networks with technical links to China and Iran. The associated accounts posted tweets about polarizing issues regarding the upcoming November midterm elections. That's according to an analysis which states, the Iran-linked operations, for example, primarily express positive sentiments toward American progressive left candidates who might vote in a way that is more aligned with Iran's interests. The China-linked efforts included content about American politicians' comments on Taiwan and stands toward China. We spoke with Troy Miller, CEO of the National Religious Broadcasters Association. The fact that we've known this has been reported on for a long time, that there's been foreign interference in the election. So, so to see Twitter take this proactive step to go in to shut these networks down and, and to curb this kind of influence is, is good. Twitter's head of safety, Yo Roth, shared the report calling his team's work an independent analysis. 
However, some Twitter users replied to his post, indicating they questioned if Roth himself is independent. In the past, he apparently referred to Donald Trump as a racist tangerine, said there were actual Nazis in the White House, and more. Elon Musk, Twitter's new CEO, previously said he's a free speech absolutist, which doesn't accord with taking down accounts. But he's also signaled concern about bots on the platform. I think a foreign agency who's operating a bunch of bots, not even real people, is, is definitely sort of a malicious trying to, a, a way to try to influence the election. Whereas individuals in the U.S. who are just trying to have open discussion, that's a, that's a whole different ballgame. He added that open discussion should be allowed since it falls under free speech. It's not clear whether the foreign networks operate it with bots or real accounts. Reporting by Arian Pastar, NTD News. Staying with Twitter news, the White House deleted one of its tweets after Twitter flagged it. The White House has had posted a tweet that credited President Biden for an increase in Social Security payments. The tweet was later flagged by Twitter after users noted that the increase was actually caused by a 40-year high in inflation. The White House then deleted the tweet. Today, the White House press secretary was asked why they deleted the tweet. She said that it was missing context. She had explained last month that Social Security benefits would increase, but Medicare benefits for seniors would decrease, giving seniors, quote, a chance to get ahead of inflation. And in Oregon, a governor's race that would typically have been considered predictable, this time is looking tight. The state could soon have its first Republican governor in 35 years. So what's going on? Journalist and documentary filmmaker Leighton Woodhouse investigated the changing sentiment among Oregon's voters, and I spoke with him earlier today. Leighton Woodhouse, welcome to our show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Now, recent polling indicates that Republicans have a stronger chance in Oregon this election. You've been speaking with voters there. What's the sentiment on the ground? Well, the sentiment on the ground is that Oregon has taken a turn for the worse, um, especially in Portland. Um, the sense from people I've spoken to in Portland is that Portland has just become somewhat of a dumpster fire, both in terms of open drug use, in terms of rampant crime, um, in terms of um, violence. Um, it's just become lawless, and um, and people are people, including lifelong Democratic voters are looking for a change. And, and a lot of the folks I've spoken to are, are deciding, are voting for Christine Drazen. About 13 percent of undecided voters leaning toward the Republican candidate, Christine Drazen, are registered Democrats. Do you have any specific stories about what's causing this shift for people? Yeah, well, the story that I looked at specifically was there was a there was a community of folks who live on these um, floating homes, which are sort of halfway between a normal house and a houseboat on the Columbia River. And this was in a far flung corner of the city, um, just right by the city boundaries. And across the street from this um, floating homes community is a nature preserve in which um, until very recently there was an enormous homeless tent encampment, um, the biggest in the city. 
Um, I'm talking about um, hundreds of uh, residents on this encampment. They had full structures that they lived in. Um, one resident of the floating homes community told me that there were meth labs running um, on the on the grounds of the encampment. There was a massive chop shop for stolen cars that the, the when the, the when the police finally shut down the encampment just a few weeks ago, they dragged out hundreds of ca of cars. Um, there was a um, dog theft ring going on in this encampment. Um, one homeless person told uh, a, a guy who's a sort of the, the head of homeless services for the neighboring city, told him that there are bodies buried in that encampment, um, constant gunfire. So these people in this this uh, this um, floating homes community were were victims of, of crime um, just over and over and over again. Their cars were getting jacked. Somebody found somebody in their in their shower in their bathroom one day when he returned home from from work. Um, so they were complaining to the city. The city wasn't doing anything about it. As a matter of fact, the city would just bounce them from one agency to the next. And when they finally got an aid to a state um, lawmaker um, uh, in a meeting, she told them that they should go down and make friends and have a barbecue at this um, at this homeless encampment. So obviously that didn't satisfy these folks. Um, they were very angry about this. And, um, and the people I spoke to are mo mostly lifelong Democratic voters. Um, who are voting for uh, the GOP candidate. And that reflected the sentiment of a lot of other people outside of that community as well, who I spoke to in Portland. And Drazen wants to end homeless encampments and repeal a drug decriminalization initiative, among other measures, what seems to be a 180 on the current policies to end the homelessness crisis. So what are people telling you about how they see her approach? Uh, they see her approach as practical and pragmatic. Um, Measure 110 is the is the uh, the law that you're referring to about drug decriminalization. Everybody I spoke to believes that it was a, and I think it's a consensus in the state that it was a disaster. Um, every candidate, including the Democratic candidate, um, at least want to change it. Drazen wants to repeal it. Um, it has essentially legalized um, drug uh, drug use and drug possession in the state of Oregon, which is. Uh, unleashed um, sort of the open the floodgates for drug dealing in these tent encampments. Um, so and you see it everywhere. You see the blight all over the city. Um, so um, so her she wants to eliminate Measure 110, repeal Measure 110. She wants to sweep the homeless encampments and she wants to enforce laws and um, and enforce treatment for drug addicts, which is both helpful to the city, but also helpful to the drug addicts themselves because they're just left right now languishing, kind of counting the days until they overdose without anybody else around and die prematurely. So this is not a, a policy of compassion. Now, the homelessness crisis is getting worse in the U.S. Do you think this issue could affect election outcomes across the country or in other similarly hard-hit areas? Well, I live in Oakland, California, right across the bay from San Francisco, where a new DA um, was recently appointed, um, well, uh, nine months ago or so, seven months ago or so, appointed to replace the famously lenient prior DA, Chesa Boudin, who was recalled. It looks like she's probably going to win in a landslide in San Francisco. She's she's a Democrat. She's a liberal, but she's a, a pragmatist, and she's about enforcing laws and um, and not allowing public camping and and a lot of the same things that 
Raisin is is in favor of. So, you know, despite the fact that they have different party labels, they're approaching the same, uh, they, they have the same sort of practical approach to dealing with this problem of crime and lawlessness and drug addiction. Um, and I think that's something that that voters in, in places as liberal as Portland and, and San Francisco are willing to, are happy to embrace, and we're going to see those results next week. All right. Thank you so much, Leighton Woodhouse, journalist and documentary filmmaker. Appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. We reached out to Oregon's current governor, Kate Brown, and Democratic candidate for governor, Tina Kotek, for comment today, but we haven't had a response yet. And the Biden administration's head of cybersecurity is commenting on the security of the midterm elections. During a talk on Tuesday, she warned the American public... There are going to be errors, there are going to be glitches. That happens in every election. But that's why there are multiple layers of, of security controls and resilience built into the system. And so to the media, I, I would really like to ask for everybody's help because these things are going to happen. And we can't, you know, that somebody will forget their key to the polling place, a water pipe will burst. These are not, these are normal things. They're not nefarious. The director said her agency saw no credible or specific information about efforts to disrupt or compromise election infrastructure this year. During the talk, she also commented that her agency is not an intel agency nor a law enforcement agency and that they don't censor any information. But she added that she's concerned about foreign adversaries sowing discord among the American people and trying to undermine confidence in election integrity. And days ahead of the midterms, the Federal Reserve rolls out another big rate hike. What's coming next? NTD's Iris Tao has more on what the Fed and the White House have to say about the economy. Another aggressive hike. The Federal Reserve on Wednesday announced a four straight rate hike of three quarters of a percentage point, bringing rates to a level unseen since 2008. Its goal is to tame the white-hot inflation, but as a direct impact on Americans' wallets, it'll make it even more expensive to get a mortgage and pay off credit card debt. Here's Fed Chair Jerome Powell talking about it today. The Fed's monetary policy actions are guided by our mandate to promote maximum employment and stable prices for the American people. My colleagues and I are acutely aware that high inflation imposes significant hardship. And now the big question is, when will this end? Here's what Powell said. It's very premature, in my view, to, to, to think about or be talking about pausing our rate hike. We, we, have, we have a ways to go. And another big question is recession. In other words, what's the likelihood of a soft lending in which rate hikes do not lead to a recession? Powell said this. Has it narrowed? Yes. Is it still possible? Yes. I would say the path has narrowed over the course of the last year, really. And on the politics side, some Senate Democrats sent a letter this week urging the Fed to stop hiking rates to avoid a recession. And Republicans taking aim at Biden, with Senator Marsha Blackburn calling today's Fed announcement further proof of the consequences of socialism via Biden spending. Meanwhile, right after the Fed announcement, Biden held the job market at a White House event while saying this about the economy. Inflation is still hurting people. But we're making real progress. I've been more optimistic about the future than I ever have been. Ever in my career, I've been more optimistic than today. And as midterms approach, the White House is increasingly shifting its focus to touting its economic policies and attacking Republicans. Biden's giving a primetime speech tonight. The White House says he'll call out MAGA Republicans as a threat to democracy.
Reporting from the White House, Iris Tao, NTD News. And we'd love to hear your feedback, and we're always on the lookout for more stories. So if you'd like to reach out, we're just an email away at eveningnews at ntd.com. And coming up, should people be allowed to bring American flags into school sporting events? One high school says no, and parents are speaking out. And in the NFL, one of the premier franchises could be changing hands soon for what should be a record sale price. NTD's Dave Martin has the details coming up. Should American flags be allowed into high school football games? One school says they block the view of the game for attendees. Now parents are speaking out. NTD's Jason Perry has that story. Hold Glory, also known as the American flag, is displayed in most sports stadiums throughout the country. But should people be allowed to bring their own American flag to school sporting events? In 2016, according to Greenville News of South Carolina, a student with an American flag was denied entry to the high school football game. The principal said it was because the American flag was previously used to taunt rival Berea High School, which is about 50% Hispanic, as shown on Public High School Review. That principal later reversed his decision. This is not right. This is not okay. I spoke with Michael Rayner, who said her daughter had a similar thing happen at Corona del Sol High School in Tempe, Arizona. It happened during the school's patriotic-themed football game, in which everyone was encouraged to wear red, white, and blue. They did allow the theme to move forward, but then I started getting text messages and phone calls from not only the students, but parents, that they were confiscating the flags. And I said, confiscating the flags they said are kids wearing them as capes aren't they wearing them around like all that kind of stuff even parent you know handheld flags they weren't even allowing the handheld flags then but she said this was not the case for other school districts in their area as she has two students in another school district they all got to wear american flags to the tune that they even got to wear political figures on their shirts they got to wear the flags as capes they got to wear the flags as dresses they got to run across that field with flags being flown. Those are students in the stands at neighboring high schools and neighboring districts that were allowed that opportunity, and our students were not. Wearing a U.S. flag is a violation of proper flag code, but the school hasn't cited this as a reason. The executive director of community relations for Corona del Sol High School said that she believes there was a small handful of game attendees who tried to bring in full-size flags. This was not allowed because it would obstruct views of the game for other attendees. Smaller flags and other items were allowed in without issue. Jason Perry, NTD News. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. The Washington Commanders may be up for sale after all as owners Daniel and Tanya Snyder have hired Bank of America Securities to quote consider potential transactions. A spokesperson for the team said they're exploring all options. The development comes just two weeks after the Commanders released a statement saying owner Dan Snyder would never sell the franchise. That was in response to Indianapolis Colts owner Jim Ursay saying there was merit to consider voting him out as owner. 
Congress is currently investigating the commanders for the workplace culture created during his time. Meanwhile, the NFL is also probing his franchise for a second time. This investigation stems from an allegation of sexual misconduct. In addition, there are also allegations by the attorneys general in Virginia and D.C. for accounting misdeeds, which the team has denied. Should Snyder sell, the franchise would likely fetch a record price. Forbes recently listed the team as being worth $5.6 billion, nearly a billion more than the record $4.65 billion the Denver Broncos sold for earlier this year. In college basketball news, the University of Kansas has announced they're suspending head coach Bill Self for the first four games of the season as fallout from the FBI's 2017 investigation into college basketball's corruption. The investigation led the NCAA to accuse Kansas of using Adidas to gain an advantage in recruiting. The NCAA has yet to rule on the case. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, 22 NBA teams are in action, including a struggling Lakers squad looking for their second win of the season. And in hockey, a doubleheader this evening with the Maple Leafs hosting the Flyers and the Penguins at the Sabres. And finally, for you baseball fans, Game 4 of the World Series is tonight at 8 o'clock with the hometown Phillies sending out Aaron Nola to the mound while the Astros counter with Christian Javier. That's a wrap for sports. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. And lastly, finalists of NTD's sixth international piano competition performed in the Future Stars concert today before winners were announced. NTD's Arlene Richards reports. NTD's sixth international piano competition has come to a close. All of the winners celebrated by participating in the Future Stars concert. Let's take a look at the highlights. On Wednesday, contestants and distinguished guests graced the stage for a final performance in the grand finale of NTD's sixth international piano competition. And the first prize goes to Antony Barashevsky. Born in Kyiv, Ukraine, Barashevsky started playing piano at the age of seven. Currently, Barashevsky is a soloist at the National Philharmonic of Ukraine. Josi Zhang of China received the second place award and the third-place trophy went to Evangelia Delazonas Kukwa of Russia. Some contestants shared final words about their experiences in this competition. I received a marvelous um, experience playing here in this hall. I enjoyed very much this piano, and um, it's uh, always a great pleasure for us pianists to play on a good piano that helps us to produce everything that we um, wanted. Uh, it's really fun to be around other musicians who are great, um, to be in the city, to perform in this great venue and have these opportunities. And yes, I think it's been very inspirational and will carry over into the rest of my life. <laughs> Audience members expressed their appreciation for the competition and its mission. Classical music is some of the most brilliant music that has been created in this world. And it would be very lost to the world if we did not continue to appreciate and um, judge it, so to speak. It's been a very good experience to see all these young um, rising stars performers perform. You can feel the, the energy and their skills just radiating off the stage. It's been amazing, really. 
NTD gives special thanks to world-renowned Russian performers who graced the stage. This year's competition was extra special to all of us at NTD, and we hope that all of you enjoyed watching it as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. And that's all for tonight's show. It's always great to have you with us. Until next time, I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.